Hello and welcome to another episode of the Worldcraft Club podcast, a podcast all about helping you create immersive settings that will draw your visitant in time and time again. And today is a very special episode because we have with us RJ, the creator of the RJ D20 blog, the Villainous Backgrounds D&D supplement available on Dungeon Masters Guild, as well as a YouTube channel where he helps Dungeon Masters run awesome D&D games and create compelling worlds one tale at a time. How are you doing, RJ? I am doing extremely well. It's storming outside, but I'm nice and safe indoors, and I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you, James. Yeah, likewise. I've had a chance to just start reading through your blog and we've had this kind of social media bromance over the yeah. last couple of weeks. I've really been enjoying just like going through your stuff with your world building content. And I, I think it's fascinating with TTRPGs and generally just trying to fit together a world in which you release a bunch of reckless murder hobos into it. Yeah, that's hard stuff. Like you're skiing uphill, right? It's true. Week after week, I unleash these flamboyant characters into a world that I've sat at my desk right here and spent probably at this point hundreds of hours carefully crafting. And I know that it's likely going to all collapse under the weight of my players. And what do I do after that session? I come right back to this desk and I start to <laughs> format it back together again and go back the next week. And I had a spectacular time every single session without fail and when i'm building it here at the desk it's it's wonderful as well it's one of the most calming things that i do yeah and i've grown to become extremely proud both of my players and yeah. their escapades mm. and my world itself so that's yeah. cool. That's a good thing to say because like it's if you go through like forums with dungeon masters, mm -hmm. it's the jaded dungeon master is a pretty frequent like yeah. archetype you find in there. You yep. know, someone who's burned out and they've created yep. these worlds. They've released players in it. I guess for our writers out there or people who aren't mm -hmm. familiar with TTRPG stuff, people who maybe world build on the side or just sort of enjoy yeah. enjoy kind of getting lost in Wikipedia pages, right? Yeah. Running a table is complicated. You create this world and you create it with all these neat artifacts and ideas and your, mm -hmm. your main themes and you put it all together and then these players come in and you don't have the ability to attenuate them. You can't just tell yeah. them like, look at this thing. Well, you can, yeah. but that only works so far and players have a tendency to sort of resist that. And so yep. you have all these characters in there that you can't control. So it's like, imagine having a main character in your novel that just does whatever the heck they want to do. <laughs> and they're also playing a game while they play that character. So a lot of their decisions, mm -hmm. there's kind of two things going on at the same time. So TTRPG winds up being really complicated. And I'm glad you come out of your games like actually just feeling refreshed and like oh, your yeah. world wasn't ripped to shreds. So what's the secret to that? How do you not become a jaded world builder in the process of playing these games? I'd say that the most important aspect is accepting that even if you're writing or forming an exquisite story yeah. at your desk, you need to understand that when you sit down at the table with your players, there's a social contract there, right? Yeah. You're there to have a stellar time. They're there to have a great time. And you're exploring in this world together. And really, if you're playing a TTRPG, mm. even if it's a world that you put the bulk of the effort into creating, that world isn't just yours. It's the world of your players and their characters. They build on top of this world's lore yeah. alongside yeah. you session after session, yeah. year after year. A lot mm. of us who play TTRPGs, it's not a hobby that we pick up for two weeks 
play a few sessions and then yeah. say, okay, we're done. We're out of there. And those of us who build our own worlds, you know, we're probably going to be playing in those worlds for years, if not decades. I'm almost on a decade in my own world. Really? Yes. And all of those stories, they're just compounding in essence, in strength, and just epicness time yeah. after time. And a lot of my players, they're the same people who played in my first campaign. Oh, you're kidding. And they remember all those tales and they've added to the world's canon and their characters have become legends. Yeah. Thousands of years old and there's still whispers of them in the current day. And I love that. As soon as I accepted that it wasn't just my world, even though I'm putting all this effort into it, it's a world that we're building collaboratively. And that's the main difference between, yeah. I think, TTRPGs and writers or, yeah. you know, people who produce films and so on and so forth. Yeah. It's more collaborative. If you're a writer, if you're an author, as you said before, you have a main character, you have a story you're telling. The creative yeah. control is in your hands. You're the primary producer, right? You make all the shots. Yeah. But if you're at a table as a game master, a dungeon master, whatever you'd like to call yourself, it's not just you calling the shots. And you need to accept that. And I think that's the key to running an excellent game and creating an interesting world that you can draw your players into time yeah. after time. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like you have to, like, even as a writer, mm -hmm. it's in some ways, I suppose a DM dungeon master might look at a writer and go, oh, geez, I wish I had that much ability to just kind of hold my world together and leave it sort of untouched in yeah. some ways, you know. Yeah. There's a sense that even a reader is really the one that is creating the world. In some ways, mm. all you're doing is creating signposts yeah. that give people an idea what they're looking at. And it's especially difficult when you're doing a shared simulation yeah. where there's a bunch of you at the table and you all have a different vision. And like somebody enters into combat and you go, well, I wasn't over there, you know, or mm -hmm. the bar, does the bar look like that? Or like, you yep. know, it's, I, I was imagining it this way or I was imagining it's bustling and one yep. player gets it in their head. I'm going to try to clear civilians out of the bar. And you're like, mm -hmm. well, there's only like six of you there there's only six of us you know it's like conversations like that kind of wind yep. up happening around the table because there's a game underneath the story i think really what sticks out to me is i think you're advocating for essentially like humility in creating your stories like you gotta give way right yeah i totally agree with that i know many authors mm. like they become authors right yeah a lot of them i think admit that it it's due you know maybe a minutiae to a sense of arrogance right yeah, they want yeah. their stories that they're telling, you know, to live forever. Yeah, they feel like they have something to say. And yeah, exactly. They have something to say. They want to tell everybody they want to live forever because, you know, not for as long as we know, but for thousands of years, like stories have been remembered either in texts or orally. Yeah. And yeah. the people who told these stories, we still talk about them today. Yeah. So I do think that's completely true. If you're a dungeon master, if you're a game master at the table, you need to understand that it's not just your story. You need to have some humility. You need to yeah. look to your players and understand that they're building this alongside you. You should respect them. You should allow them to contribute to your world. And that's something that I try to do a lot. I try to give away that creative control, try to uplift my players. I won't just say, oh, the nearby town of Tala has around a thousand people in it. There's this shot, that shot, and this shot. I ask them, there's a town nearby. Its name is Tala. What's yeah. the most famous shop inside that settlement? Yeah. Who runs it? What's their specialty? Yeah. You know, I actively try to have them contribute to the world. That's huge. 
And it it does require a semblance of trust, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's difficult to do with a random group of strangers, which is what some D&D groups or TTRPG groups might begin as. That's true. You're running something at a comic store and, and exactly. somebody's Adventurer's Guild stuff, somebody's piling through. Yeah, it's tricky. But... Yep, yeah. So it's it's a careful line there because if you don't trust them completely, they could as you said earlier, become murder hobos and just rampage through your world, tear it apart, <laughs> destroy all yeah. of your careful work, you know, and just yeah. go against everything you believe in. Yeah. But if you speak with your players, if you communicate the correct themes to them, if they know that this is a dungeon punk setting, right? Yeah. They understand that, okay, there's going to be all this wacky, crazy technological stuff going on, dungeon delving. I should be prepared for that and not a gritty Western drama type story. They'll feed off your energy. And yeah. I think that's a really big part of TTRBGs. It's improv, it's riffing, it's understanding what everybody at the table wants to tell, what story they want to tell and what world they want to live and play in. So I love that. I think that all does require a sense of humility. Definitely yeah. agree. That's great. I love that you highlighted the theme as well that the world runs off because I set out to do this like a while ago. I love GURPS, right? And GURPS is a, for those who don't know, it's just a very, what we call a crunchy system. And it essentially passes the test of, can you die by falling down the stairs? And like in GURPS, you can die by falling down the stairs. It's like <laughs> you can roll for that. And like GURPS, it can be very, very complicated. But one of the cool things about it is that they have these enormous lists of equipment that you can have, all kinds of stuff like that. And their supplements are second to none. So like if you're running short of ideas, I don't care what system you run, go ahead and mm-hmm. grab one of the GURPS supplements. They've got great ones that are very specific that are excellent world building tools. But all this to say, I wanted to make a post-apocalyptic setting and I endeavored to, in the arrogance of my youth, create every (laughs) item that I could, that you could find. You know, it's like springs. Yep. Is like uh, coils and like rope yep. and like what lengths of rope and different mm-hmm. lengths of rope. And then I, I made little like drop tables and all kinds of stuff like that for baddies. And this is emblematic of a type of world building that is kind of everything in the kitchen sink. I call it osmosis world building because it's essentially you're building up enough crap on one mm-hmm. side of the ledger and you're kind of hoping that by just building enough of it, it'll bleed through into your story in a yeah. meaningful way. And like just by sheer weight. Yeah. And there's a temptation to that one because it's kind of fun. Like it's neat to get into the detail. It's neat to look at the tables and like I'm an Excel fanatic and like I love doing that kind of stuff. (laughs) It's great, but it's kind of a lot of work for very little payoff. But what we found, well, depending on what you're shooting for, but like Mm -hmm. at the table, I'd argue like not a ton of payoff. But what we've found in this podcast over time is that by focusing on like meta themes, we call it fairy cake, but like a central core idea and just kind of capitalizing on that, you can get your players to understand the vision you have for your world rather than understanding every detail. And I like that, like the, ter- the word that would be really good here is empowered. You empower your players mm-hmm. to create your world with you. you invite them to create your world with you. And that gives you in a weird way, like a little bit of control because yep. like, so my toddler, right. I want to feed him vegetables, right? Like, <laughs> and he does not wish to eat the vegetables. So what we do is we give him a choice and we go, would you like carrots or tomatoes? And he goes, no way. I'll take tomatoes. They're sweeter. I like them. Okay. And he's going to get carrots later, but he gets the tomatoes first. Yep. And like, there's a sense in which you say, hey, who's at the bar? You know, who's in the bar? What's going on here? What's going on? And yep. what's the most important store? And 
you're then able to kind of like channel their creative energies in a direction that you would like it to go rather than them kind of like getting their wiggles out like later yep. like in the story is did you find that that's got a little bit of the impetus there or almost definitely i've taken the idea of fairy cake and i've used it across all of my works for the past few months. It's excellent. My world itself, I presented this single core question that's now present in all of the stories that I'm telling in it. And it's just- Oh, that's rad. Yeah. What happens when the world is collapsing in on itself? And yeah. you know, like all the different planes of existence are melding into this one place. That's the core concept of my world. That's fascinating. Now everything has ballooned out and all of my players, they understand this. So- when I ask, you know, what conflict might be arising, they'll say, oh, well, the nine hells of Beator are starting to crack through and devils are breaking out, legions yeah. are marching through, stuff like that. They play off these ideas because, as you said, I'm, I have control, but they feel like they're making a choice. I hope my players aren't listening to this. Yeah, I no. know. Right? I was going to say. <laughs> no. But it's true. We don't think our players are toddlers, by the way. No. It's, it's kind of like a psychology related thing. Yeah. And it's, it's a oh, way man. of like maintaining kind of some yeah. coherency in your world and giving yeah. that flexibility. And it sounds as if the way you operate with your player, it's meaningful. You know, like yeah. the choices that are made are meaningful and they yes. add to your ultimate canon, which yep. is like a huge element of it. This is where you go from patronizing false choice Yep. to meaningful decisions that actually yep. like resonate through your world. So this is this is like you're at the the senior level. Yep. You're not sophomore with it. You know, you're yeah. you're applying the principle but then you're actually following through. And that yep. seems to be like where you go, what where you need to go if you want your players to continue to invest. And it seems like you've got that, which is great. I think I do at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I told you earlier, I just introduced five new or six new individuals to my world last night and they had an yeah. absolute blast. First time they've ever played a TTRPG. That's so cool. Great time. It felt amazing. I felt like I immersed them into the world. I gave them little bits and pieces because I don't want to completely wash them over with mm. all this knowledge, right? We've talked about yeah, that. Yeah, You've yeah. talked about that before. Exposition, knowledge, don't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exposition. It was just little bits and pieces so that they would kind of, you know, understand the greater conflicts at play. But That's great. No, it was great. And your comparison earlier, the one that I've come to use a lot is yeah. I'm the parent, right? Yeah. I'm at the beach. The children or the, the players, they're my children. <laughs> the players are my children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're building sandcastles in my campaigns, right? Yeah, my yeah, campaigns yeah. are sandcastles. They're constructing all the battlements. I've made the foundations. I'm like the, the ground, right? Yeah. And I'm this parent overwatching the children and I can guide them and I can, you know, say, okay, that little part of the sand needs to be carved like this. And yeah. I'll let them build. Yeah. And once they've finished and, you know, they've, they're starting to make sand angels as I used to do on the beach. I don't know if anybody else does that. I know people <laughs> make snow angels. I make sand angels. But... Yeah, reach out to us on Twitter and tell us if you yeah, made definitely. sand angels. Like, Please go do for that. It. Yeah, hit us up. If anything is, I don't know, if it doesn't fit in the world's canon, if they do something that's particularly egregious, mm. well, I become the tide and I just wash over the sandcastles and I knock away the pieces that are a little bit free that aren't really true to the world. And its foundation, mm. they just slowly melt into the sand. Once again, I'm not trying to compare them to children building sandcastles directly. <laughs> but sometimes there's, yeah. you know, there's the addition of Bruno, the love hammer into one of my campaigns. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I don't know that name. I'm not sure it would fit in a world that has people <laughs> named Callista Starcloak. And yeah. 
Illyrial Van Loro and stuff like this. So, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of carving that needs to be done. Yeah, but yeah. For the most part, everything that my players do, once it's said, once it's done in the world, it becomes a part of the vast canon yeah. of my verse, which is which is something that I'm really proud of. I have yeah. scrapbooks of my campaigns. Yeah. All of my campaigns, I've bound them into spiral books. So I have all the notes I've written, all the character oh, sheets, oh my gosh. Yeah. everything. That's I know cool. I'll have to bring them out one time. Yeah. I know we're not on video. I know it's a podcast, but <laughs> I'll have to bring them out. I have four campaigns finished so far and the scrapbooks yeah. are lovely. It almost brings a tear to my eyes. I flip through them, see what... <laughs> You know, eighteen-year-old me was thinking, "Yeah, huh? it's the memories." Let's, uh, yep. yeah, no, that's that's precious. I love that. Yeah. I liked this idea of the tide coming in. Yep. And you kind of make the necessary sort of alterations yeah. and things like that here. So, like when you had your Bruno love hammer, like how did you massage that <laughs> into your Ganon? Like, what was your strategy to do that without overriding your players too much? I have to assist them. Yeah. yeah. He just came in as Bruno the Half-Orc Lovehammer, okay? There was no rhyme or reason to why his name was, was something as this. He didn't have any background knowledge, right? He was just called the Lovehammer. Something like this, as simple as a name, you know? Yeah. You just ask yourself questions. That's the core of world building. It's the crux of it. You just sit oh. there and you ask yourselves questions over and over and yeah. over. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You continue to focus or, you know, balloon out depending on what you're talking about. For this yeah. example, why is he called the Love Hammer, right? What's yeah. going on? Where did he get this nickname? And well, do we say... want to know? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> the short answer is yeah. it was a nickname given to him by a local thieves guild for a few dealings that he partook in. And, you know, it was a strange name, but it was a name. And yeah. while he came to the game just to play, just he had this little sure. bit that he thought yeah, was yeah, funny. Yeah. It was my job as the resident world builder yeah. to help this visitant to my world yeah. understand, you know, where his place in it might be, where yeah. his part in the canon is. Because sometimes people do come to our tables and, you know, they don't mean to completely destroy our world or, or put something in there that yeah. doesn't belong mm. and they just need a little bit of guidance and as the tide i just help them i just you know carve up those pieces that don't make a lot of sense and i give meaning to those that can make sense as long as they're given the proper justifications and it sounds a little bit like you kind of for this particular example and we can veer away from it if you like <laughs> as well but for this like particular example it sounds like you added some context and you helped the player to kind of find their way of making that work in the game yeah. i think that's really really interesting because a lot of times like as a dm yep. as you're running the game there is a sense that you feel like somebody does something wrong and your urge mm -hmm. is to kind of take it away yeah. i like that you mm -hmm. filled in the gaps instead oh yeah that's a neat nugget there yeah so i know a lot of advice out there especially currently it's the skill and the the power of saying no to your players right yeah i do confess that it is a vital ability to possess the uh, it is that yeah. ability to say no to your players you know in a session if there's something that's wrong going on whatever yeah but when they're coming to a game and they have an idea that they want to explore mm. let's say like one of my players he wanted to play a platinum half dragon asimar with the blood of a god within him at there first <laughs> i looked down to my table and i thought oh wow that's 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 original yeah i don't know that's that's a lot of stuff that's a lot that's a lot to take Just in a lot you know, of it's this, yeah <laughs> it's a lot to take in but i i molded over and i decided okay no we're gonna we're gonna work together yeah we're gonna let you explore this idea i'm going to create 
a piece of my world so that your idea fits in the world itself. Ooh, yeah. Eberron, Keith Baker. It's a world in D&D. It's a world that was created by Keith Baker, submitted originally as a fan to Wizards of the Coast, and it bubbled up into this fantastic setting that's become a staple of Dungeons and Dragons. It's true. Yeah, you hear so much about it. One yeah. of his tenets is everything has a place in Eberron. Yeah. No matter what it is, we can make it fit. It yeah. might not be where you expect it to be, right? But yeah. we can make it fit. And I have purposed that for my world as well. I fundamentally believe in that. Anything that you want to do or play, you know, if you want to be a gunslinger, even though, you know, guns are super rare in my setting, there may be a little corner of the world that has some rare powder that you might be able to manifest into a gun. Yeah. I make it fit. I always want to work, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, collaboratively with the players. Yeah. And I think that lends to such a stellar experience. The feeling I get when I'm sitting at the table and we're just riffing off each other, building on the world that I've spent hundreds of hours creating, yeah, it's yeah. a feeling like no other. It's indescribable. And it's important to recognize if you really want to build a fantastic world that your players are going to continue coming back to, you should work with them to build it. Yeah. I think that's the main point that I want to come off with. And, and, and I think that's really key. And, and you've named a few ways that you can kind of help them do that. And one is like when they have an idea that doesn't fit, you can build up around them. Yep. You can kind of shore it up a little bit and say yep. like, okay, how can this fit? You can kind of massage it into your world. Yep. Then there's another one, which was that your players meaningfully add to your canon. And so that reinforces this idea that no, your actions are meaningful. Because part of the yes. problem is, is like a lot of D&D players run games effectively as a social experiment and debauchery. They're just like, hey, yeah. you know, we're here. There are no consequences. Yep. So I'm just going to, you know, yep. the, the term murder hobos, they have no home. Yep. They murder people, hence murder hobos. Just exactly. tear through it. And somebody made a really good point that like in any kind of world, no very stable person goes adventuring they're not just it's like true. i've got a successful winery and a family wife yep. and kids but yeah i'm gonna go kill dragons it's like no yes. <laughs> like you're gonna <laughs> stick around with your winery you're gonna it's hire true. adventurers to kill dragons and yeah. it's like you're always going to get like interesting characters that want to come up and people want to yep. play interesting characters like yep. they don't want to play ordinary people no and that means that as a world builder, like you cannot be too possessive. You have to be humble. Yeah. You can build around them and you can make places yep. in your world where they fit. And I think that works really well. And I know even uh, Seth as, as an author has done mm -hmm. things similar to that before when people have honestly come to him and just given him a better idea than, than yeah. he had originally. He's like, yep, that's what I meant to do. You know, it's like, there it goes. I bragged about Seth's ingenious idea with Patreon and having his <laughs> his most fervent supporters, you know, reading his chapters, giving advice. That is the next path for authors. I'm telling you, that is yeah. genius. It, yeah, he's done his own thing. And yeah. like, I think he's wrapping up book seven now. Like that it's guy amazing. is prolific. But like a thing about Seth as well is that like he not to just you know derail the podcast talking about Seth but sorry it was me no 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 <laughs> I'll brag about Seth all day but <laughs> he had several attempts before he got to where he is and he is like he's worked very hard to get there and it's it's really inspiring to see him just succeed and one of those things was this collaborative world building effort that is yeah. a little bit of ttrpg in, in his mm -hmm. novel writing in some ways which yeah. is uh, a really cool thing i like this and i think these principles can apply broadly to world building as well mm -hmm. just humility and making room for your visitant like to actually like kind of participate in that this is why like jk rowling's fanfic is like lit <laughs> like it's like it's a ton of it <laughs> and sometimes it's better than what she made yeah 
and that's great. That's yep. encouraging, but it's also like a little bit painful. Like there's a little be. bit of pain in there. Yep. There's a lot of darling killing that goes on. So yeah, I mean, do, do you want to color in the lines there? It's true. Well, sometimes I do see where you're coming from with the darling killing, right? But sometimes the actions of like players, you, mm. you said, you know, they can have ramifications for decades or centuries to come in your world. Yeah. Like, for example, in my second campaign, the players managed to briefly kill this great demon lord named yeah. Yinagu. Yeah. And the moment that they killed him, all the gnolls across the material plane, usually they had this inner hunger within themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. They were fiends basically driven to kill, slaughter in the name of this demon lord. But when he was killed, that hunger vanished from their minds. And I've now created this new culture, you know, hundreds of years down the line from this campaign yeah. that only exists because the player characters managed in a fit of genius to kill this demon lord. And I've used their actions to create this brand new story with these creatures that otherwise I never would have came up with this idea if they hadn't pursued this plot thread, ended up yeah. taking out this demon lord, killing him in that exact way, causing all the gnolls to lose their connection to him. This culture of now enlightened gnolls that are no longer lashed down, held down by this great evil. Yeah. It's turned something that's usually, you know, stereotypical in D&D on its head. And I never would have happened if I hadn't allowed my players to, you know, make such a big impact on the world and then look at their actions and say, okay, what would have occurred in the years after these events? That's so satisfying. That's such good payoff. Yeah. Exactly. And then when they meet these characters and, you know, learn about the history of them, you know, in subtle ways, they'll realize, oh my goodness, we did that. Yeah. That's amazing because two of them are still playing in one of my campaigns. So it's a wonderful payoff, not only for you as a world builder, you know, having those moments of brilliance where you tie together something that happened years ago. Yeah, yeah. But for your players in your TTRPGs, it's the payoff is immense. The smiles on their faces when they realize something that they've done they've has had this something. impact that has sent ripples across your verse. It's wonderful. And it's one of the biggest reasons I play TTRPGs. Yeah. I think a lot of players and DMs have stories like that, you know, yep. and, that, and that's really why they stick around. Yeah. Everybody's got a horror story too. Oh, and yeah. Like moments where like things, but it's these kind of moments of just real victory that really keep yeah. us going. Over and over. I think that's massive. Yeah. It's remarkable how like the positivity bias for D and D players is massive because you can have a dozen crappy sessions, but that one that you remember. Sticks out. Yep. Yeah, you never let it go. It's very true. Yeah, there's a reason that a lot of people that started playing D D in the nineteen seventies, they're still playing today. I know. How many other right? hobbies can yeah. you really say that has that kind of lasting power? I, I can't think of many that are similar to this i know like i'm not going to be playing the same video game that i played in 2012 in 2030 but i'm damn well sure that i'll be playing dungeons and dragons or some variation of it <laughs> and that is a really good place to bring us to a close and how your world building impacts your players so like i think a good summary here is essentially yeah. just like trust your players hold your world in an open hand communicate with your players and acquaint them with your themes and build up around what they make right like fill in the gaps it's like excellent. 
there's a lot of good nuggets in here. And this can apply as well in like written media or movies mm -hmm. where you're kind of, you, you have people that are along for the ride and getting them to understand like what you're doing early on, those introductory elements, acquainting your visitant with your themes. And then, cause the real stuff happens in people's brains. You know, it's like in a mm -hmm. movie when I'm imagining like in Avengers, the first movie, all those guys coming out of that portal. Like I chewed on that yep. for ages, like that scenery, like yep. that's, that's where my head was at for ages. And it's kept in this thing where I was like excited. It's like, Oh man, it was so rad when that happened. And I wonder where <laughs> those big whale things come from. Those super <laughs> creepy. And like, are they cybernetically enhanced and like all this kind of stuff that they didn't mm -hmm. talk about, but like yep. kept me chewing for ages. Exactly. And like that kind of thing is really, Really, really powerful. And I, man, I just got to thank you for joining us. I'm so stoked. This was great, man. Of course. Long time in making. This was lovely, James. Thank you for reaching out. I, I love talking about world building, listening <laughs> to people talk about world building. And I, I think that people can walk away with actionable advice, whether they're people who play TTRPGs yeah, yeah. or if they just write worlds as a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's massive. So look, where can everybody find you? Yeah. So I write weekly articles on my website, rjd20.com. They're usually about Dungeons and Dragons, but many of them tie into world building as well. You can also find me on Twitter at rjd20writes. And I have a Facebook page that's just called rjd20. And I have a bromance with guys over at Worldcraft Club. <laughs> so you might be seeing me on their feed and likewise. Oh, this has been great. <laughs> sure. That's awesome. Thank you for joining us on the Worldcraft Club podcast. Be sure to come and find us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our Discord server linked below. If you love what you hear, please give us a five-star rating on the podcatcher of your choice. And finally, we want to say a thank you to our amazing patrons who support us on Patreon. If you want to chip in and help us produce more content, please head down and find us at patreon.com forward slash worldcraft club to get extra episodes and content for as little as $2 a month. Again, this has been the Worldcraft Club, and we're so glad you gave us a listen. Until next time.